Hey everybody, welcome to the Faith Church Podcast. I am your host, Jay Williams, and joining me today is the other host, Jeff Clossy. Good morning, Jay. Good morning, everyone. I was worried about you this morning. Your voice sounded a little raspy, but now it's it's getting up there again. Yeah, I'm waking up. I haven't had a lot of conversation yet. Waking, yeah, no kidding. So uh, we can just jump right in, although this past weekend um, you preached, and I wasn't here. I bailed. Abandoned me. Abandoned everybody. um, Went down to uh, Chicago to pick up my son on Father's Day, which I didn't think about. On Father's Day of all days, Jay. Come on. I know. It was really weird. So if people don't know, I mean, if you heard on Sunday, but on Saturday night, I'm sitting there thinking, man, I really want to go down and pick up my son. So so my son and two other teens were uh, on a missions trip, and they were literally on the other side of the world. So basically, as far away from us as you can get, uh, in a in a um, just a completely different culture. They had some pretty wild experiences, um, but they were coming back, flying into Chicago on Sunday morning, and I had originally just thought, well, obviously I can't go and get them. But to the two other kids, their um, their dads were going, and I thought, man, I really want to see my son. And so I texted you and Kristoff and. I, I love, Christoph was very pastoral and just very, you know, hey, I think, I don't see a reason why you shouldn't do that. I, I think you should feel free to do that. We can cover the other parts. You know, Jeff, you were, you were preaching. So, oh my gosh, there's literally a cricket right there. I thought you did a sound effect on your phone. I actually looked at my phone and then I thought, I don't have a cricket sound on my phone. <laughs> oh my goodness. If that cricket crickets at the right times, so like when we just sit there after one of us has said something ridiculous, then we'll know. That maybe maybe the maybe our faithful listeners planted a cricket in here so that it would drive us crazy. Spice things up. Yeah. So anyway, so Christoph was very pastoral. You were sarcastic, which I thought was fun. Yeah, well I was like, like this is pretty <laughs> obvious. If you want to go get your son after this big trip, you definitely need to go get your son and uh on Father's Day, all the more reason. I know. Well, your text was actually something to the effect of Yeah, let me pull it up. You can I think you should go get him unless you want to wait till the next time yeah. your son comes back from across the world. <laughs> yeah. uh, then you could do that. So I was like, okay, I'm going. So I got up at like 3.30 um, and well, just a couple of hours of sleep and because uh, um, I could not sleep. I was excited to see him and everything. And I will tell you this. When you get three dads in a van who grew up listening to 90s music, Fantastic. And wow. you decide to put uh, um, a playlist together. And I DJ'd, or as the kids say, I was on the ox. And so, um, uh, yeah, so I had the ox and I put together a pretty killer 90s playlist and we belted songs. And then when we picked up the kids and saw them, it was amazing. The party did not stop on the way back and they were pleading. Um, like, could you add, hey, could you play some crowd pleasers for the whole the whole van? And I, and I said, well, this is pleasing. It's pleasing us in the listening. And it's got to, like, our singing has to be pleasing everybody. But but the thing is, the thing is that uh, we had to keep them awake. Because it's, it's rough. When you fly from, this was an 11-hour time difference for them. And when you fly back like that and you land in the morning... Anybody that's ever flown that kind of distance knows that 
you if you land in the morning, that can be brutal because you've got to stay up the whole day. So it was a fun adventure to keep um, keep them up all day until they get tonight. And then they left for camp. Two of them, two of the three, left for camp the next morning. It's crazy. That's a quick turnaround. Yeah, I've gotten some pictures though. He seems to be awake. That's good. I mean, he's responsible. He's going up there to count to be a counselor. You, you know. Um, Fortunately, it's like the year where they're like a part-time, you know, they have another counselor with them. But I'm just thinking you're putting you're putting children in his care and that dude can't have much left in the tank. But uh, fortunately, he's a he's a hyper extrovert, so he can. It's some adrenaline. There's right? adrenaline and then there's the energy of being around people. But so I appreciated it. And so then I got to listen uh, to to the sermon after the fact. I watched, we actually did tune in for the announcement. That was fun. Yeah, it was fun to have that picture. Yeah, so sending that picture, and then, and so people were there. We were actually watching at the time when Christoph was making that announcement, and that was really encouraging because they could hear the, the congregation, and so that was really encouraging to them. Well, it's been encouraging for all of us to be praying and anticipating God's work. I'm excited to hear, you know, from them. I know we got to figure what? out how to let them share because there are some really neat stories. Yeah, that's so neat. Well, and then so. they'll have more. I mean, the ones that are at camp too will have more from that too. Yeah, yeah. We have several other kids going to camp this week, and um, that's awesome. Yeah. So anyway, there you go. That's the that's the update. So then I listened to you preaching on Psalm twenty seven. So you mentioned a couple times in it that it was that it's one of your favorites. Because I was going to ask you why you chose that one for here now, you know, this week. Was it random? I mean, when we preach through Psalms, like like a lot of churches do this in the summer. Summer in the Psalms is a very common thing, but there's a reason for it, and it's because a lot of people are in and out. It's it's hard to to put together a kind of a unified series, um, and and so when you're going through the Psalms, you're obviously not going through them verse by verse in order. Although you could do that, but that's not how we have done it. We've kind of just selected them, but they're not really meant to be, you know, it's not like Galatians, you know, or Second Samuel where it's telling a story. These are just a collection of prayers and songs. They're not, they're not in any kind of order. There, there are sections to them, but they're not, it's not a chronological order. It's not a thematic order. And so they really are able to be kind of grabbed randomly. And, um, and so that's how we do that. We just try to avoid ones that we've preached before. But you chose Psalm 27. Why? Well, it has been a psalm for me that every single time I read it, every single time I come upon it again, my heart is stirred. I think it, it helps me to focus on what is really important in my life and in the world. And it's one that I have used quite a bit in in disciple making and, and counseling with other people. Um, even a few months ago, actually just last month, I read it with someone and just asked the question, how do you think this might apply to your life? And I, I really didn't have anything picked out for the person. And it was amazing how God spoke to them through this psalm. I, I just, for me, it's been one that really speaks. It's funny though, because to say that it's one of my favorites doesn't um, mean that the other ones aren't awesome. You know, it's just one of those things that for my own heart, it really resonates with me. And Jay put uh, a list together of all the Psalms that we've done recently in the last few summers. And I was really thankful and actually surprised that I hadn't picked it earlier to do. But um, 
yeah, I was excited to get to walk through it. Do you feel weird sometimes when you say, when you think like, oh, this is one of my favorite passages? I always feel like I have to qualify that. Yeah, too. it's like, it's well, I like Psalm 26 and 28 as well, but. <laughs> I know, and there's so many, and then I feel, and then I'm always struck by how many times I'll say that I'll get to a passage to preach. I'm like, oh, I love this. This is like one of my favorites. And then I realize, man, I got a, I got a lot of favorites, which is good. I think that's. Uh, it's interesting. I was, I was telling Jess that preaching on it is such a different experience than I'm um, sure. praying through it. So I actually really saw some things in it that I hadn't seen beforehand. Um, even though I've spent time personally praying it and helping other people pray it, there's something about teaching it that really helped me to see even other angles that I hadn't seen. So yeah, so let's let's jump into that because I there are a couple things that popped up when I was listening to it that I thought, man, I'd like to ask a, a follow-up question of that or kind of tease that out a little bit more. So one of the big points you made early on was that um, that part of what the Psalms do is they help us know ourselves. And that's, I mean, it's interesting because that's a term that could that gets hit on in our culture. Like that's a big deal, the idea of, you know, know thyself, learn like the most important be true to yourself which is you have to know yourself and you kind of it was it was kind of subtle but it's a pretty big deal that the idea that the world would say so this is where christianity and the world would agree on yes it is good it is good to know to know yourself that's an important thing to be aware of yourself to be self-aware to know who you are what drives you what you know what you're gifts are, how you've been wired, but the, the means by which we know ourselves is different and the end for why we want to know ourselves is different. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so you hit on, so the end is different because the end is that we would glorify God for the Christian. I want to know myself that I might be used to build up the body of, of Christ, to serve others, to love others, to like it's meant so that I can love God and love others. Whereas the world would say it's like there's a kind of a self-realization and actualization and satisfaction of um, contentment found in just knowing and being secure in, in me. Um, so that's different. But you touched on how different the means are by which we know ourselves. Yes. So the world would say, look at yourself, study yourself. If you want to know yourself, just study yourself and look inward more and more. And you say, like, through the psalm that to know ourselves actually means starting with knowing God. Yeah, and those, it's interesting how those things are interrelated. So, and you can see this, like, in some of our great classic works of writing as well. So, like, Kelvin, in his Institutes, in one of the very first pages, he talks about this. Like, do you know God first, or do you know yourself first? And it's kind of like, the answer is yes. And it's interesting to me, like the more I've thought about that point, that as we pursue Christ, as we grow in fellowship with him and intimacy with him, we know ourselves better. The, the most important things I know about myself, I only know because I know him. So for example, like I know my weaknesses and my tendencies towards brokenness in a way I would never know unless I knew him. And I only can know them through the gospel because I am free to look at them without threat. I can look at the parts of me that are ugly and that need refining and renewing yet because I'm safe because of the gospel of Jesus. 
And he has revealed that to me the longer I've walked with him. And anyone who has grown in Christ, you will, you will hear that in the way they talk. They will say things like, I need the grace of Christ today just as much as I did yesterday and the day before. Now I just realize you know, how f- much farther away from him I really was when I first started following him. Um, but then on the positive side, all the, like I mentioned, just that God loves us, the most basic thing, right? That to know that about yourself and to feel it at the core of your being is transformational. And it, and it changes the way you interact with others in the world. And if you don't know Jesus, you don't know that in the way God intends for you to know it. Right. I mean, think about that. The, so the, the security of being known and loved is like elemental across all philosophies. Like every philosopher, every religion would say that that is a powerful thing to feel secure in the fact that you're loved. Now, if that's the case, imagine from the world's point of view to say, okay, then the way that you feel that is to see yourself as lovely and lovable. So mm-hmm. that's what you have all these movements to like see to see your own beauty to see your own loveliness and and i'm not saying all those things are bad at all i'm not saying but what i am saying is it's fragile and it's empty because anybody who's honest about anything you might have a moment where you think like yeah you know what i i am lovable and how long does that last yeah right like how long before (laughs) you think before you realize unless you're a total narcissist like an egomaniac you're not going to feel lovely. And so that security that the world offers of, yeah, you want to know that you are loved. And the way you do that is to see yourself as lovely or to put that in the hands of the world and others in your life to give you that love. And both of those things are fragile. Yeah. And they, they all result in, you know, fearing the loss of that. Right. And whatever we fear controls us. Right. So we end up being controlled by the other people's opinions or even our own opinion of ourselves. You know, and ultimately, to me, one of the foundational differences when you discover who you are in Christ is that you realize that your identity is a received identity from him, right. not a created identity from within you. You don't manufacture who you are. You receive who you are from him. He had a very intentional design in mind when he created you and when he created me. And we receive that from him. We don't make that up. And that's massively right. different than some self-actualization. And because it's completely secure, right? Yes. Because I mean, God doesn't make mistakes. God is, he is perfect and he's perfectly loving. And so if the, if the aim really is to feel secure in your identity, how much more secure could you be than when that you receive that identity from the one who created all things? It's an old philosophical idea that if you want to understand the creation, you have to understand the creator. You don't know, you know, it's like if you're looking at a beautiful painting and you're trying to figure out, well, what, what is, what's, what's going on in the artist's mind, or even when we're studying the Psalms, right? Like we talk about who the author is. If we know the author, we talk about who the author is because in understanding the author, you understand it, you understand what they created. And the same is true about God. He he mirrors that, or he he shows that in his creation. But if you want to understand any of God's creation, you have to understand the Creator, which makes sense. But then the the security of that is that then his love his love is never dependent on my loveliness. 
like that idea of he doesn't love us because we're lovely. He loves us, which makes us lovely. Mm-hmm. And that is secure. And, and so, yeah, that, I just thought that was a really important point to really draw out, to help people understand that, 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 yeah, know who you are, be aware you were created intentionally and specifically. But I love how you just said that, that it's a received identity. Yeah. And, the, the implications are massive for the way we end up seeking God, too. And I highlighted that later with the prodigal yeah, um, prodigal son. But, you know, if you think that, that the reason that you are not encountering God the way you want to is because you're not lovely enough or, you know, you're just not devoted enough or some people just are more committed than you, whatever the thing is, um, it's not true. You know, I mean, it may be that, like I said, you, you're spending no time putting your attention on him. Yeah, but it, it's not that you're sin and that, that you're so much worse than everyone else. That's not the way God sees you no. when you belong to him. Um, I just love the picture of the prodigal and the, this father seeking this son as the son is coming to basically beg him to be his servant just so he can survive. And he finds these eyes that are already looking for him and see him a long way off even in the midst of his ugliness and brokenness and helplessness. It's so beautiful. Yeah, I, well, I was going to get to that later, but we can get to that now. Like you talked about, I loved, I loved the picture of the game of hide and seek and pulling those words out there. And you know what I pictured? I, I like, one of my thoughts was, um, God is terrible at that game. Mm. Mm-hmm. He'd be like playing with somebody, you know, like if you play with a kid who is, you know, hiding behind the curtain, but their feet are sticking out, you know, or they're hiding behind the couch, but they're laughing the whole time. Yeah. You know, like, yes. And they think that they're not going to be found. Right. right? Yeah. Now, obviously the difference is, is God, God is not uh, a child and doesn't think about that, but he, he doesn't hide. The issue is we are also terrible at the game because we don't seek. Yeah. So I, I like, I just was thinking about that when you said God doesn't hide, I was thinking, yeah, and we don't seek Mm -hmm. and, that's why the game is terrible because yeah. we don't, because, and it's basically what you have then is, I mean, imagine, you know, you said the father was seeking the son and he was, but just think about the son, you know, the son was trying to avoid the father. He ran from the father. Then when he comes back, he's going to just try to sneak in and, you know, he'll say something to him, but he's, his aim is really to avoid his father. Mm-hmm. He is not seeking his father. But the second he does, he realizes his father isn't hiding. And I can't tell you how many times in my life, so that that imagery was really funny to me, but also really convicting of the times where I have felt distant. Um, and here's the trap I fall into. If God feels distant, and I feel like I have not been seeking him, like, so we know immediately the problem, if, if God feels distant, the problem is that I, I'm not seeking. I mean that the game of hide and seek is a is a real thing and and I'm not actually looking for him because if I did I would realize he's not he's not actually hiding. But what I get trapped in is I feel like the journey to get for the prodigal son for example the journey to get to the gate feels long. And Jesus doesn't talk about that because that's not a thing. All all parables are very they're limited in scope. They're not meant to be like 
dissected. So like if somebody took the prodigal son and said, well, yeah, and he had to decide that he wanted to go home. And then it was 12 days of hard journey to get back to that point. Like that would be the opposite of what it is. There's a reason why all of a sudden he's just there. Yep. Because that's the way it is. But for me, I have this obstacle where I think, okay, I have to, um, let's see, how do I articulate this? I have to, I have to make up for that lost time. I have to prove myself before I think God will be found. And so there's that obstacle. Like there's a, like, let's say that I've gone a, a stretch without any real prayer. And then when I think the very first thought that comes into my mind, when I start to pray is, um, some version of, oh, this is rich. Like now you're going to, now you're just going to start praying. You're not going to, not going to talk about the last several days where you just disconnected or for somebody like last several months, last several years, we're not even going to, we're not even going to like, we're not going to deal with that. And that is not the voice of the father. No. And the prodigal son is such a great example of like, if he imagine if the son came up to him and the father says like, Oh, are we going to, we going to talk about any of this? Like we need to talk about all these things before, you know, before I hug you or whatever. That's not it. He no. hugs him immediately. And that's how God is with us. Like if you haven't spoken to God in years, he doesn't need to have a big conversation about why you haven't spoken to him in years. Just speak to him, and he's there, and he embraces you. So I don't think I'm alone in that struggle, but what would you say to somebody who says that? Of like They just feel, and for some people, it's like if they miss one morning of a quiet time, they feel that, yep. and it starts to spiral for them because they're like, well, I didn't do it right last year. I missed yesterday, and so now I really got to do it well. And so then there will become the lie of, um, well, now the the more times like that I miss, the bigger that my reentry. Because I have to have some kind of grand gesture of like, okay, well, I haven't read my Bible in a year, so now I'm going to sit down. I'm going to read it for twelve hours straight. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting, right? Like the other side of that too is that sometimes a person will think, well, now I need to live um, a sinless life for a couple of days, and it's right. the lie in that is is that we are able to do that for a couple of days. You know, our hearts are just not that way. Um, But you're right. It's like making up for lost time or proving ourselves again. In the end, I would say almost all of those things are just trying to earn a hearing and earn the relationship with God, again, that is received. So it's interesting the way David says, the Lord is my light, my salvation. And I would say one of the ways that, that we live that reality of the Lord is my salvation is letting him save us. So my salvation would mean, yeah, Lord, I haven't connected with you for weeks, for months, but I'm going to now. Thank you for drawing me back to yourself and then pray and enjoy him. The The idea that now I need to wait a few days and even the score somehow, those are all just games, I think, that, that our flesh and I think Satan uses to scheme to prevent us from just going right back to him and enjoying him. And that's why it's so important for us to get to know him better. Because the more we know who God is and what he is like at the, in his very like being, in his core, the more we will realize we don't need to do a fancy dance for him to hear us. We don't need to do that. He loves us more than we could ever comprehend and his goodness never ceases. We can come back to him immediately. The idea that I sinned too much and now I must wait to enjoy that again, that is not from God. That comes from our flesh and from the pit of hell to keep us from going to our Father. 
So here's what this just popped into my head of you, you had talked earlier in the message about, you know, God is our light and he illuminates everything. And think about the difference between, like you said, we feel like we have to make up for things. And the reason why we feel that way is because that's what we would do. Yes. That's how we function. And it just, it dawned on me that idea of light and what is illuminating what. And so the difference between, um, no viewing God in light of ourselves, which is what we often do versus viewing ourselves in light of God. So one is I, I, if like with the knowing yourself and everything, if I'm staring at myself and, and consumed by myself and trying to look more deeply at myself, then, then my view of God is going to be through the lens of myself. And so I'm going to project things onto God that are not of him. They're of my actual flesh. And so we picture God as angry and as um, uh, distant and vindictive and all these different things because we're viewing God in light of ourselves, which includes our flesh. But the reverse of that is to view ourselves in light of God. So that goes to the, if I seek God and, and, and know him, that in knowing him, I'll actually know myself. But like you pointed out, that myself who I was created to be. Mm-hmm. So if I'm if I'm looking at through the lens of God, if I'm letting God illuminate, am I letting God illuminate how I look at the world and at myself, or am I letting myself, like my own flesh, illuminate um, or be the lens through which I see the world and see God? And that's why we can't understand because none of us, obviously, none of us are that gracious. Like if you if you ignored me for months. And just all of a sudden came in and, and um, you know, you were kind of a jerk to me or whatever. And you said, like, and just started, came in and been like, hey, hey, Jay, how's it going? After Water, months of that. Water under the bridge, right? Yeah, I'd be like, <laughs> uh, do we want to talk about the last few months? Like, you've, I, 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 even if I'm trying to be gracious, I'm still not going to, I can't, I can't be as gracious. Now, if I'm viewing myself in light of who God is, then my desire would be to be gracious because I would see, man, God, God is so forgiving and so patient and so gracious and I'm made in his image. And so my desire would be, and it's only in that, that'd be the only hope I would have of, you know, receiving your friendship back and, and, um, you know, greeting first with that. And then, you know, that's not to say like, oh, so you just like let everything go and never talk about anything. That's not the point at all, but the, it's a heart posture you know like like in that situation am I really is the dominant emotion in me that I'm glad to have my friend back or is the dominant emotion in me wanting to be vindicated and wanting like justice yeah to settle the score want to settle the score yeah like Like, you caused me pain right now I want an explanation or I want you to feel the weight of that I'm gonna extract a bit of pain from you right and that's and God doesn't do that no because Jesus took that exactly he already extracted the pain and the justice for it, it's on the cross. And so there isn't anything that you can give. It's already been paid for. It, 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 that's that's what kind of boggles our mind of how it comes back to the gospel is that that's why. Mm-hmm. It's not because God doesn't take sin seriously. It's not because, like, the point of the prodigal son isn't that, hey, it doesn't matter what you do. The father wasn't hurt by this. Father didn't care that his son went off and did that. It was no big deal. He's like, hey, hey, how did that go? That's not the point at all. The point is that it's already been paid for. 
that there has already been justice. And, and for us, those who believe it's been found in the cross. And if it's not in the cross, like we talk about, every wrong will be made right and it, every sin will be paid for either on the cross or in hell. And that's just the reality that everything will be called to an account. But for those who are in Christ, it's already been paid for. That's how God accepts us so readily. So we do need to make sure that it's clear, even in the psalmist, like even in the Old Testament before Christ, they're still trusting in God's grace. They're trusting in his mercy. Um, They just don't know yet how that's going to play out. But it is important that we, that we make that clear too, that if, if a person doesn't know Christ, this is not just generic grace that is offered. Like this is specific grace offered through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. And that's why seeking him is, is worthy why it's better because it's not just like this generic like it's it's specific to those who are in christ and sometimes we can like when we talk about how god is a loving god he is like you you said he if he stopped loving he'd stop being god Mm -hmm. because god is love he isn't just loving he is love but there's we know those are differences of how the general love that he loves his creation with and then the specific love that he loves his children who have been made his children reconciled back to him through the cross yeah that they've been full of his spirit right and renewed it's interesting to me how you know jesus is the way he teaches through the prodigal parable you know when we finish the 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 scene if you imagine this in scenes the scene with the the younger son coming back to his father and his father embracing him the spotlight turns over to this older son, the one who has been faithful, at least in appearance, right? And he didn't ask for the inheritance. He stuck by his father, and he cannot handle the gracious and basically the the overabundant love of his father for his brother who had squandered everything. And I think any most of us, if we're honest, we can understand that. Like if we put ourselves in his position— we can know, and that's what you were describing, Jay, with the extracting a bit of uh, a bit of consequence. Um, and Jesus makes that really clear. He teaches that to us that that's part of it, and that that's part of the point of that whole parable, right? Is to to show the people who are hearing Jesus the way that you assume God will behave and treat you is different than the way God will treat you, because God is different than what you imagined Him to be. You know. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. No, you go ahead. No, you, Jeff. Well, thanks, I'm great. I'm trying to be gracious. Well, I wanted something that I didn't have time to talk about uh, was this can be applied to any psalm, but I think it's interesting if you read this psalm through different voices, um, not like uh, accents, but like different people. (laughs) Different accents. (laughs) Different impressions. Now I'm doing my Wisconsin accent, and then I'll do a British. But um, the different meaning it can have. So, you know, if you read this as David talking to God, it sounds one way, and I primarily taught it that way, like this is David. But then if you read it as all of us singing to God together and kind of singing around each other, so like that that last line, wait for the Lord, be strong, let your heart take courage, wait for the Lord. If you imagine us singing and praying this together and sort of encouraging each other in this, it takes on another meaning. And, and actually the whole psalm is like that, if you think think of it as us together. Uh, but then the last voice that I think is really powerful is to imagine Jesus praying and singing this to the Father. Mm. And actually it does transform it even more. And I think he, he his voice could sing this in a way 
that would be really unique and would be really instructive if we would read it that way and pray it through his voice. I just didn't really have time to go into all that. But to me, it is really powerful to imagine Jesus saying, one thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may gaze upon the beauty of the Lord all the days of my life. You just imagine that that was in his heart all the time. That was what he built his life around, was loving and enjoying his father all the time. And I think that's the key right there is that's what was in his heart. Mm -hmm. And there's just no, I think, so much of my life, especially early on, I, um, or the, I've gone through seasons where I would read Psalms like this and I would just, it's not necessarily going through the motions, but it is a little bit. It's the idea of like, well, this is how I'm supposed to feel. And it's, that's religion and that's duty. That's obligation. That's the law. The, even, even the emotions, like even, um, you know, verse four, one thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. There's a huge difference between the person who reads that and says that and just in- agrees intellectually that, that yes, the Lord is beautiful. Yes, that is, that, um, and saying it even though we don't really feel it, and then settling for that. And so usually like if we say something like that and read that and we don't feel it, then we either um we either like settle, we just we we settle in some way. We often just get to a place where we just deny that we don't feel it. And so we kind of lie to ourselves about it and like, "Oh yeah, no no no, I totally yes, which I see it all the time. We we both do, we all do. Um I catch myself doing it. I'll hear a sermon and I know that what that what the preacher is saying, what they're preaching from God's word is should be stirring my heart, but it's not stirring my heart. And in those moments, you can either just kind of deaden yourself and just say, "Oh yeah, no, 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 I totally yes, yes, just want to gaze upon his beauty. He is beautiful." Or you can confess the reality and say, "God, I." I know this is true, but I'm not feeling it right now. Or I don't know if I've ever felt that. I don't know if I've ever seen that. There is a a stirring that happens that we are that Jesus experienced all the time, but none of us experience it all the time. But Jesus has experienced it all the time. He is always moved and compelled by the love of his Father. Like always. He's consumed by it. He's, and, and that's what is out there for us. That's our process of sanctification. But our problem is in desiring to justify ourselves in desiring to be seen as holy in desiring to try to present ourselves in a way that seems holy, we'll start to redefine things and settle for something less than what is offered for, for us, if that makes sense. Yes. And so rather than pursuing being moved by that and being stirred by verse four and, and experiencing what that actually looks like to just like the only thing I ask, the only thing I want to seek after is to dwell in the house of the Lord. Like that's all I want. That's David's cry. Like that's it, not safety, not riches, not, you know, more children, not any of that stuff. He just like, this is all I want. And if you've never experienced that, if you have experienced, if you tasted that, then I would say, then you know above all else, like don't settle for something less. Don't settle for just pretending like you know that 
But if you've never experienced that and you think that that's not, you think like, oh, it's always a show. When people do that, they're, it's, it's fake. Well, of course you're going to think that if you've never experienced it. And I understand why you'd feel that way. I understand why you'd look at somebody who is singing and their eyes are closed and they have tears in their eyes and you think like, well, that's just a, they're just being melodramatic. That's just a show. If you've never been stirred in that way. But I would say don't settle for less than that. In fact, it's not even like the danger of it is you're not just settling for something less. You're actually hardening, hardening your heart into something destructive rather than like pursuing and seeking Christ and not settling. And so if, if you're in that, like the, I don't know how you feel about that little rant, but um, a rant, rambling, rambling, whatever it was, rambling. I think, rant. It's, I think um, it's helpful. But the idea that just confess it. And I've said, I've used this illustration before, but in our house, when one of my kids says, I, well, dad, I don't want to read the Bible. I don't say like, well, you better read it. I say, well, why, why do you think that is? is the problem. And so I wanted to lead them down a path to confess. And I appreciate their honesty in that. And and that if they're honest in that, to realize that God will meet them there and to realize the problem is not with the Bible. Like, so we'll talk about what the Bible is and that they intellectually know that it is and say, okay, so if the creator of the universe who created you and loves you and knows you inspired this writing so that you could know him and commune with him and hear his words like is is the problem then with that like is that boring and you know they're gonna say well no that of course is amazing that's better than any marvel movie or any treasure like that they find in any of that okay so then the problem is with us like we don't see it clearly and so just confessing that not not for shaming or guilting but just to say the issue is me. Like if I'm not stirring, so if I'm not finding God, I'm not seeking and not as a guilt thing of like, but as a, no, then I need to confess that and embrace that. And so that, so that he can, his kindness can lead me into repentance and I can receive that, his forgiveness. And I can just, and I can also be, just be pursuing. That's part of the seeking. So like, that's the beginning of seeking God is to just say, I don't seek you. Like just even like, so imagine playing hide and seek. Like first step of being a better hide and seek player is to say, ah, I've not been seeking. I want to seek. Okay. Like yes. that's step one. Yeah. And to me, you know, we all start from the place of no matter what experience we've had of God and of that desire to seek him, every single one of us, I think it by his grace gets to grow in that. None of us has arrived at the place where we have fully experienced his beauty and that we understand him fully or we've just comprehended him fully, we haven't. And so it's it's a safe place to begin to say, thank you, God, for the experiences of you I have had, mm-hmm. but also I know, I know there's so much more. And I think that's only really possible, again, if we have the gospel in mind, if we have who God is in mind, we can only safely say that and not feel just guilt-ridden or horrible because we haven't pursued him the way we were meant to or something if we keep that all in mind. But if we come from a safe place of being adopted by him and reconciled to him fully and completely in Christ and by Christ alone, we can say, I have so much that I would love to grow in still in experiencing you, God. This is more intellectual than it is personal for me or whatever the thing is. But that's where we all are. Or routine or yeah. whatever. 
or moralistic. I mean, there's all kinds self right. I mean, that's where self righteousness comes from. And I love what you said earlier in the in the podcast that it comes back to that of it's in that safety when you know God, then you're free to confess your sin because you don't you know in the world we have to um, we have to kind of measure our words when we talk about our shortcomings. You know, like nobody when classic thing of going into an interview and they say, you know, what are, what are three of your weaknesses? You know, what would you say are the three areas of growth or whatever? Yes. And we say, well, my first one is that I care too much, you know, and I, I, I probably work too hard. Like we, we, we just, we want to always paint things. It would be weird in an interview. If you went in you're like, listen, I have problems with honesty. I lie to people sometimes. And then I, I don't even know why I do it, you know, or sometimes I like, I'm really selfish. And so I want to make sure I get credit for things and that my coworkers don't steal my credit. Like nobody, you wouldn't get hired. We are trained in the world to measure things and to craft them and say them in a specific way to make them sound better because the assumption is they're always like, we're always adjusting it when somebody says something, we're adjusting it in our own minds. No one is fully authentic like that. We, we struggle with that even with our close friendships and yet with God, the incredible safety of that is he already knows it anyway, but you can say it in all of like just the word, just completely lay it out there. And he, in Christ, he meets you with forgiveness and because he sees you with the righteousness of Christ. Like that's how he sees you. And so you've been forgiven. And that's just incredible freedom, right? Like just so it's so freeing to be able to do that. It is. I think that's part of the the stronghold of my life, truth. Yeah. You know, that's part of that. That yeah, it's it's the stronghold protects you from from enemies, like David's describing people who are trying to attack him and harm him physically, destroy his reputation with accusations. But also, there is an enemy right in our own flesh that's within, and that fortress protects from within as well. And I think that's often where we really battle a lot of us is with our own thought life, our own um, self-accusations, or just our own demons that we're dealing with. And he protects as our fortress from those as well. And he's not surprised, like you said. He already knows. And in Christ, we have freedom to to be our, our true selves with him. We don't have to pretend. and We don't have to clean ourselves up before we come to him. Yeah, we don't have to pretend. I love that. Well, I think, and that's what our desire is for community in in the church, is that we don't have to pretend with one another, that we can be authentic, we can be transparent, and not as a way of kind of wallowing in our our, um, transparency or in our sin at all, but as a way then to confess so that we can turn one another toward Christ and to receive his forgiveness um, and to experience that like you were talking about the campfire to experience his love and and have that embolden us and empower us and and let us live in in freedom and in abundance like he has called us to so we want to help you do that we want to help one another do that i want to encourage you that on a weekend like just every weekend each one of us in the church family should have um some example where we've been able to come alongside and encourage somebody you know and just um to speak life to one another, to rejoice in who Christ is, as we sing together and take communion together, and um, 
and rejoice together. So if you, um, but if you need to work through any of those things, or you need help getting connected into that, you don't feel like you're connected, you don't feel like you know that um, you're experiencing all that God has for you and you want help in that, we want to help you. So you can uh, fill out a connection card. You can email us at connect at faithpestigo.com uh, or you can just talk to us on a Sunday. We would love to walk with you in that. We appreciate you taking the time to listen. We hope that this has been helpful. Until next time, grace and peace. Mm-hmm.